We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. NBA podcast. It is Monday, March 27th. Of course, this is the 26th birthday uh, of former Summer League MVP, the great Josh Selby. Uh, I have no idea what Josh Selby is up to these days, but best of luck to him. I'm Nick Whalen. I'm joined on this Monday afternoon by Andre Snellings. Andre, you and I have not done a podcast together in a while. Uh, One, glad to have you back on the show. Two, I know you were on with DJ last week, and I know you already talked with DJ about this. Uh, but you were at the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference out in Boston a couple weekends ago. Uh, so I want to hear all about that. Um, I guess we'll, we'll start with this. What was the coolest thing that you did uh, or the, you know, the coolest presentation or the coolest person that you met? Just the overall best part of that whole uh, Sloan Conference experience for you. Yeah. So um, first of all, yeah, it has been a while since I've been on here with you. Um, I missed that. Uh, I'm glad to be back. As far as um, the Sloan Conference, you know, I – 
everything about it is like fits with my personality. You know, it's all about analytics and and finding new ways to evaluate the NBA. And so the nerd part of me loves all of that. But on the flip side, there's also a lot of really influential people um, in the sports world there. So for me, I think the coolest panel that I went to was um, it was actually the last panel of the conference. It dealt it had um, uh, uh, three general managers. It had David Griffin, the GM of the Cavs, Bob Myers, uh, the GM of the Warriors and Masai Ujiri, the GM of, of the Raptors. And then um, they were the only ones that were actually supposed to be on the panel. And then <laughs> Luis Scola, like, just randomly just just ended up there. Um, he did that on a couple of panels. So I think he was just there. And, and they said, all right, yeah, sure. Why not? You can pull up a chair, too. So it was the four of them. And then it was moderated by um, uh, Jackie McMullen. And so um, that was a really cool panel because they were up there. They were talking about the analytics and how, you know, they they have to learn and rely on the numbers. But at the same time, they were up there talking basketball and they were up there talking trash. Uh, Ujiri, he um, he was hilarious. He just kept uh, going in on how old Luis Scola was. I guess I guess Scola's on like, you know, he's been on his team. And so they had a good personality, good, you know, good personality mm-hmm. match. And he just kept, you know, every few minutes he would refer to. Yeah, I went in the weight room and I told uh, Luis he had to calm down because he's 67 years old. You know, you're, you're right for a heart attack, you know, just <laughs> just random stuff like that. But um, but that was the best panel I thought that I saw just because it really felt like they were kind of pulling the curtain back and letting you see how some of the most successful GMs in the league really think. Yeah, for sure. So did Luis Scola, you know, I had heard about that on Twitter, you know, some of the writers who were there had, had mentioned that Scola was there. Like, was he just hanging out or did he, I thought he like actually gave, you know, some sort of symposium or some sort of presentation. Yeah. So he, um, he was, I saw him on two different panels. Um, but the way the the conference is set up, you know, there are maybe four, three or four rooms of big panel talks going on at any given time. And then there are the, the poster hallways are always set up. And then there's another maybe five to eight smaller rooms that'll have presentations on different things at different times. So if Scola ever gave his own um, uh, presentation, I didn't see it. But like I said, I did see him on two panels um, on that second day. And I saw him walking around a couple times. So he was definitely in the house. Uh, I actually snuck a picture of Shane Battier because he was uh, standing at a poster, uh, you know, uh, talking to this girl about her her analytics approach. And I was like, you know, you can't be at the Sloan Conference and and, and not see Shane Battier. So, you know, um, uh, there, there were a few NBA players that uh, sprinkled here and there amongst the uh, the nerds and bigwigs. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, I, I remember hearing about the Sloan Conference. Uh, I don't know how how long it's been around, but, you know, the first I'd heard of it was maybe three, four years ago. Um, and at the time, you know, it was this kind of, I think it had this reputation as this, you know, nerdy gathering. It was organized by Daryl Morey, you know, who's, who's mm-hmm. outright. He's in that camp. You know, he recognizes he's a numbers guy. And I think now it's really emerged into more of a mainstream thing. And, and obviously that's with with analytics becoming more of the mainstream, especially in, in baseball uh, and increasingly in the NBA. So you wrote in your Hoops Lab column uh, this week, which went up on the site earlier today on Monday, uh, about some of the DFS stuff that was going on at Sloan. Like, is, is that something that's been increasingly integrated now as DFS gets more popular? 
Yeah, definitely. So um, you, you had a good point. As far as I know, the Sloan Conference has been around for about a decade, give or take. Okay. And the early ones, I think, were just kind of Daryl Morey and um, Mark Cuban. You know, it, it spun out. It's, it's, it's technically the MIT Sloan Conference or the MIT Sloan Analytics Conference. So it, it, it came out of, you know, uh, I think Maury was a professor at MIT maybe at the time. Don't quote me on that. I think that might be true. But anyway, so it, it definitely had a heavy kind of analytics base to start with. But yeah, over time, it's just grown and grown. And so um, on day two of the conference, for example, I went to one panel that was talking about um, uh, the future of NBA analytics, which is what you might expect to see there. But then I went to another one on gambling, um, you know, on the future of sports betting. Um, and then I went to the one on, on DFS. Um, and so I feel like as the conference is uh, kind of growing up, and and more and more people and, and entities are are seeing the value of it. You're seeing things like DFS show up as, hey, this is a a good place to be because there are you know a lot of great minds and uh, a lot of numbers people and by the way a lot of power people all all kind of mixed it in in one location rubbing elbows. So um so so DFS is, is definitely wants to be represented on uh, in that environment. And uh, the the talk, I mean, the panel itself was interesting because um, there were four people up there and it's a a sports uh, conference, sports based conference. But everyone up there had an advanced degree. You know, one of the guy was an economics guy. Uh, There was a a neuroscientist. You know, there was a um, uh, another econ guy who, who, who worked on game theory, you know, so it was a very. The, the, the Sloan Conference itself, uh, from top to bottom, is kind of an eclectic mix of academia types and um, uh, those that, that operate and, and live within the sports world. Yeah, I think one of the most interesting things to me is, you know, how how those type of numbers and, you know, I'm generalizing, of course, and just saying advanced stats, you know, in, in my air quotes here, have just become, you know, part of the daily lexicon for and I wouldn't say maybe the average NBA fan, but even, you know, the above average NBA fan. You don't have to be a diehard now to know about, you know, things like usage rate and things like PER. Like it, not that long ago, PER was like the only advanced stat. And it was this kind of mythical number that, that could, <laughs> was the only way to quantify how good a player is. And like, you know, even now we're starting to kind of cut into PER and say, well, you know, there are other numbers that also work. And, you know, mm-hmm. in, in some mm-hmm. ways, I think you look at you look at the Russell Westbrook MVP candidacy and I almost think, you know, the fact that he's doing this in the age where we're nearing, it seems, the peak of, you know, advanced stats and how pervasive they're becoming as we analyze the league. Like if Russell Westbrook had had this season even five years ago, you know, I don't think it's nearly as scrutinized as it is. But here we are now with 10 or 11 games left, you know, I think maybe as many as 12 for some teams. And, you know, Russell Westbrook seems to be kind of slowly losing momentum even as it becomes more and more apparent that he's probably going to average a triple-double for the season. And a big reason for that is people are starting to, to use these advanced stats to pick apart his game, whereas five, ten years ago, we didn't really have those kind of analytics and we had to take things more at face value. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So analytics is interesting because, you know, another thing about the conference is that the analytics is not just – analytics about how to evaluate players is is pervasive it, it, it's every 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 everything about the business of sports um from the way they try to sell tickets to um i went to a talk 
that had people from the NBA front office and they were talking about how they use analytics to determine the best way to make schedules to try to bring injuries down. And, uh, and that drives Chris List crazy because he's like, it's way simpler than that. Just have fewer games. But, you know, <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not a simple set. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, um, so, yeah, you bring up Westbrook. He actually he came up in one of the panels that I went to. There was um, it was called Ball Don't Lie, the Future of Basketball Analytics. And um, the panel uh, was made up of a mix of a former uh, former NBA coach, um, a couple of stats guys, uh, one for the Celtics, one that used to work for the Kings, um, a WNBA player, and uh, Louis Scola. You know, I told you he was ubiquitous. And so, um, you know, the, the question came up, well, who should be the MVP this year or how would you evaluate it? And yeah, um, uh, Westbrook was mentioned, but he was mentioned as the analog to Miguel Cabrera. You know, a few years back, he won the Triple Crown mm-hmm. and that was a huge accomplishment. It was like, well, he won the Triple Crown. The the the, the stats guys say it should be Mike Trout, but he won the Triple Crown. He's got to be the MVP. And so it, it's it's that dynamic is coming up now in the NBA where it's like, well, Russell Westbrook is going to average a triple double. That hasn't been done since Oscar Robertson. But there's no inherent value to a triple double. You know, like, you know, it's a good thing because it doesn't happen a lot and it's difficult to get. But, you know, I guess what the analytics would, would, would point out is that you can average a triple double and not be better than maybe some other people that aren't averaging a triple double. So. Um, so, yeah, it is really I, I enjoy it a lot. You mentioned PER is kind of in the everyday conversations. Um, so, yeah, in the nerd conversations, PER is kind of passe. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, oh, there's way better ways to to, to evaluate um, a player's contributions. And at that conference, they were pointing out a lot of times, at least in the front offices, they don't like the one step uh, numbers. They, they try to evaluate a whole player. They they, they want to uh, use analytics to evaluate the different ways in which a player can contribute and how is he good at what this team is going to need. And so, you know, the, and uh, one guy was even, you know, my, my, my pet stat of choice uh, for, for player evaluation is uh, comes from the plus minus approach, like in hockey, where you can don't worry so much about a player's stats in the box score, but how much did the team improve when he was on the court? You know, I really like those. And so I was uh, kind of giddy. I heard a panelist. That was his answer for how he would evaluate the M- uh, MVP, you know, uh, uh, with my air quotes and adjusted plus minus per minute thing. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, that, that's good stuff. So, so yeah, it's, it's a big wide world of numbers out there. And, uh, you know, whether, whether everybody wants it or not, it's becoming a part of, of, of the game we love. So, um, I, I say embrace it because all it does is just help you to maybe understand the game a little better. Yeah, I think so too. I think even people who have maybe hesitant a couple years ago to embrace the, advanced stats you know phenomena i guess for a lack of better term you kind of have to at this point if you're if you want to be taken seriously you know covering the nba it's just something you have to embrace you don't have to be citing advanced stats in every other sentence but you also can't ignore them completely because it's getting to that point where it's just so pervasive that's not that's not realistic so over the weekend uh on friday night I was uh, I was at a local establishment with some friends watching the Badgers game, uh, as I hope you were too. Although you you are not as invested uh, in that result <laughs> as I was, uh, but with about ten minutes left in the second half of that game, um, you know, as Wisconsin, I don't really want to get into what happened in the end, but at that point things were looking <laughs> all right for the Badgers. Um, Bad memories. I start I start getting some texts from from you know some of the guys in the office here and some friends that are like, you need to look at Devin Booker's box score like right now. 
And I'm thinking like, oh my, like what happened? Did he hit 10 threes? You know, are the Suns down by 80 points right now? Like that's, that's in, that maybe is in play. Right. Uh, and of course, <laughs> when I saw, I think when I checked, he was at 63 and I almost dropped my phone. I'm like, oh my God, like what is going on right now? Refresh it again, you know, within like 30 seconds and he's up to 65. And all of a sudden, you know, we all know he ended up with 70. Um, you know, I think nobody... Nobody would necessarily doubt Devin Booker's ability to score 70 points. Like, did I think he was going to score 70 points at any point in his career? Like, if you would have asked me before Friday, you know, 100 bucks, would he ever score 70 points in his career? Of course, I would say no, because, like, how many guys have ever done that? Five or six? Right. Um, but when you look at how he plays and, you know, how hot he's capable of getting, it's not out of the question. So, like, it wasn't shocking. Like, it, was, it wasn't like, you know, Marquise Chris went for 70. That said, the the story around, you know, the entire performance uh, is that the Suns lost. And the Suns, if you watch the end of that game, were they fouling to get closer to the Celtics, who they trailed by like 10 points with a minute left, or were they fouling just to get the ball back to let Devin Booker shoot more? It certainly seemed like maybe the latter. Uh, most people, I think, were willing to just say, hey, that was a great performance. He scored 70. They lost. Yada, yada, yada. It's the Suns. Uh, that's how it goes. Um, but then you know, there's the other half that says, this is an embarrassment. He's, you know, he barely, he only got to 70 because they gave him so many shots. He's taken up all these possessions. The Boston Celtics themselves seem to kind of be in that camp. Uh, there was a little bit of an Instagram comment battle between Booker and Jay Crowder. Uh, so, so where do you stand on this whole ordeal, Andre? Yeah, I think, I mean, as far as the purist and the, the, you know, oh no, it's the unwritten rules. And, and you, I mean, I kind of tend to feel like let him have his accomplishment. You know, um, there have been other instances in, you know, I mean, I, honestly, you don't have to go back further than the last year. Kobe Bryant's last game, he scored 60 points. Would he really have scored 60 points if his opponent hadn't just found out that they were going to miss the playoffs and sat all their guys and his teammates funneled him the ball, you know, but that's okay. He was retiring. Um, he had a heck of a career and that was a heck of a, a punctuation mark to put on it. And even if it wasn't the ideal circumstances, um, cause I mean, the Lakers obviously weren't making the playoffs. Um, it's still hard to score 60 points. So, you know, I, I applaud him for that. And I kind of feel like that with, with Booker too. Um, and it may be another example, if you go back a little further, I remember when David Robinson and, and Shaq were, were battling for the, the scoring crown one year, and um, uh, Robinson's teammates funneled him the ball. He scored like 70, I think 71 points maybe in the game. And um, there were people that were upset about that. Like, oh, you know, that's not, that's not real. That's not, that doesn't reflect. But, I mean, you know, either way, these are small things. Now, I can see the argument that, okay, the Suns lost the game. They're going to be in a lottery. They're a losing team. They're a young team. You don't want them to get in the mindset where it's okay to lose as long as you put up your numbers. So obviously I hope that the coach and the if there are any uh, veterans on the team that, that haven't been shut down, that, that in the locker room that they, they were able to kind of maybe put some perspective on it for the younger players. But as far as me as a fan, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for the brother – it actually bothered me more from a DFS point of view. So you you were talking about right. um, you were watching the Wisconsin game, and I used to be a huge college basketball fan. And then I got married and had kids, and it was like, okay, you know, I can either watch in every NBA game or every college game, but I couldn't do both. So um, so I wasn't as invested in the college. 
But I definitely had a DFS team going that night. And it was one of those nights where, you know, I look at my team and I remember where my mindset was at the time. I had Jimmy Butler just gone for like 66 points and and uh, then Giannis Antetokounmpo did the same. I had two guys with 66 points on my team. And, you know, I looked up, it was going in towards the night games and I still had like three players left and my team was already up and well into the two, mid 200s. And I was like, I'm going to shoot right past 300, you know, 350s in play. And then I went to look at, at, at where I was in the standings and I wasn't even in the money. You know, <laughs> it was like, like, what on earth? So I ended up clicking on the team that was in first and second and third and fourth. And they all had Devin Booker with 90 some fantasy points. Yep. And so, you know, that's what I'll that'll be my takeaway from that game. That's what I'll remember. You know, where were you when Devin Booker scored 70? I was in front of the computer looking at my DFS team. Like, how could I not be <laughs> cashing? <laughs> yeah, it, it was such a random outburst. You know, like I said, I, I think, you know, nobody would doubt that Devin Booker could do it. It was just who who would ever take that many shots or why would this happen at this point in the season when when nothing is on the line but you know that this is the time of year when you get weird things like that happening um looking at the slate tonight Cavs Spurs uh, is the big one there were 10 games yesterday only six games on this Monday uh, as the schedule gets kind of wonky over these last few weeks with the NCAA tournament going on uh but the Cavs eight and nine since the all-star break the second worst defensive rating in the NBA just barely ahead of the Lakers over that span that they're bottom five in just about any defensive metric um you know the thing with this this Cavaliers team and you can even go back to some of LeBron's Miami teams you know they've never been these dominant regular season machines you know cruising to 60 games I think the Heat only won 60 once and Mm -hmm. that was the year that was the year with the 27 game winning streak that obviously helped uh but especially these last couple years in Cleveland we've seen this team go through slumps you know, in, yeah. year, in year one, they were something like you know, it took, I think, at 40 games, they were around 500. Last year, they started well, went into a slump in the middle of the year, uh, and then emerged from it. Um, this year, they, they were pretty good for the first two thirds of the season, even, you know, treaded water while Kevin Love was hurt. And now, you know, since the All Star break, this team has really, really been in a rut. So, what worries me if, if I'm Cleveland is that, you know, we've seen these ruts before, but we usually work our way out of them before the playoffs. You know, now if you're the Cavaliers, if you're a Cavs fan, you seem to be kind of hitting this rut at the wrong time. And you got to wonder if there's enough time to kind of tweak this rotation and get everybody healthy and get things right before the playoffs. Because if they lose tonight in San Antonio, all of a sudden they're number two in the East for the first time, excuse me, the first time in what seems like forever. Yeah. No, I mean, it's an interesting situation, right? Because we've all been taught in sports that, you know, you put your best foot forward and, you know, you, 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 you try to win and you play your hardest, you play your best. And that's, that, that's normally what you want. That's a great thing in theory. But then you run into cases, especially in the NBA, you know, we kind of referred to it earlier, but the NBA is such a long regular season that it makes it difficult for teams, especially teams that are built around, you know, one or maybe a couple transcendent players because they have to always be on, right? You know, it's like the the the, the playoffs, once they start, they're going to be, if, if you make it to the championship, that's another two months added on. And they've been playing since mid-October. So LeBron's teams especially are, and, you know, I think back to the old uh, Shaq and Kobe Lakers were like this too. They're built so much around his talents for that 
if if he's not a hundred percent driving the ship, it's easy for it to stray. Um, if I'm a fan of the Cavs, I'm not super worried because I feel like even if they go into the the playoffs and have to play themselves out of a funk, I'm not particularly worried that whoever they play in the first round is going to be able to beat them anyway. Um, and you know, if they're say they're the number two seed because the Celtics overtake them. If it's the Eastern Conference Finals and I can put my money on the Cavs or the Celtics with home court advantage, I'm still going to feel like the Cavs are going to win. And I think they probably feel that way, too. So, you know, it, it's not the perfect way to be because sometimes it doesn't happen. You know, think back to that 03 uh, Lakers team. Mm-hmm. Everybody kept waiting for them to flip the switch on and it just never happened. Um, and so, that, I mean, that's always in play. But I, I really feel like this Cavs team will be okay whether they end up with the one seed, two seed, or three seed, um, unless LeBron gets hurt, you know, I'm seeing them coming out the East. Right. I think I think defensively, you know, you can. It would be a bigger problem to me, I guess, if they were not coalescing offensively. You know, because you, you mm-hmm. do have a lot of new blood on, on this team with Darren Williams. You know, J.R. Smith's only been back for a little bit. Um, you know, now Corver's been out for seven or eight games in a row. Uh, you know, I, I think at least they're fitting offensively. The defense thing, you can kind of say, oh, they're not they're not trying. It's the regular season, and they'll clamp down when we have to. And I think with most teams, you would say, eh, I don't know. I don't know if I buy that. But with the Cavs, you know, we've seen that over the last couple seasons. And with LeBron teams, we've seen that there, there really is a switch when it comes to LeBron uh, in terms of the effort that he puts in, especially on the defensive end. So I'm not too worried about Cleveland, um, you know, in terms of their first-round matchup, whether it's – the Bucks, the Pacers, the Heat, the Bulls. Yeah, I think they view all those teams relatively similarly. So that's not the issue. Um, but like you said, you know, if it comes down to Eastern Conference Finals and all of a sudden, you know, you you're going to seven games and you have to play in Boston in game seven, that changes things. You know, I'm with you that I th- I think I would still take Cleveland in that scenario, but you know, the road gets quite a bit harder. And, you know, I think they're they're not going to cruise through, you know, eight and zero in the first two rounds like they did last year, and and even losing two to Toronto in the East Finals, it, it never seemed like that was really much of a series. Uh, I think they're going to have the work cut out for them this season. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, and some would say that might be a characteristic of LeBron teams because, you know, he's a superstar in that he can do everything and do everything at such a high level that the team can kind of fill in around his brilliance. But it requires that he be on 10 for the team to be on 10, whereas some other superstars in in previous generations like uh, Magic Johnson or Larry Bird, they had, you know, their brilliance was also like synergistic with teammates being brilliant too. So maybe they might be able to personally coast at times because the, the, the team was set up for, for others to be able to carry the ball. The LeBron's teams don't tend to be like that, no matter how talented his teammates are, right? Because Kyrie and, and, and love or Wade and Bosch, those two by themselves should be able to be the, the centerpiece of a strong team. But the, the, the teams just end up being so built around LeBron that it's kind of as he goes, the team goes. And, you know, he, he goes to the, this is what, seven years in a row in the finals? I mean, it's he played in the Olympics. At, at some point, even the, uh, the the science experiment that is LeBron James has to be able to, to throttle down a little bit. And um, I, I kind of feel like that's what's going on. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned the Olympics. I mean, Kyrie played in that this past summer. So there's, you know, the, the risk of fatigue certainly is there, but we won't really know until the postseason uh, gets underway. 
So looking at the top four spots in the East, Cleveland, Boston, Washington, and Toronto, as it stands today, are all locked in. Uh, they've clinched their playoff spot. But then there's a noticeable drop-off. I mean, there's seven games between <laughs> Toronto at four and Atlanta at five. Uh, Milwaukee and Indiana also tied with the Hawks for that fifth spot. All three of those teams are 37 and 36 heading into Monday. Then you have Miami, who's two games back of those three, and then Chicago, who's just a half game back of Miami. Detroit, Charlotte still lurking. Uh, which of those, how many teams is that? I have to count them up now. Which of those seven teams <laughs> uh, will get those final four spots? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, we talked a lot early on about analytics, right? And so one of the first pass analytics ways to look at things is not just your win-loss record, but what's your scoring margin. And so when you look at those teams, the Hawks currently are, or at least on ESPN, slotted in as fifth, even though they're tied with the two teams behind them. But they also have the biggest negative scoring margin on the year. Um, they, matter of fact, they have the most scoring negative scoring margin in the East, down to past the Hornets, who I think are in like tenth or eleventh. And so when you put that with the fact that the Hawks have lost seven games in a row, it really brings into question whether they're going to have enough to to hold on. Um, I like the Bucks. You know, they're they're a young team. They're built around Giannis. They know their their strengths and weaknesses, and they just play hard. So I feel like the Bucks are going to be there. I love what the Heat have been doing with their defense. They they are probably the least talented, maybe, of those teams in the mix. But they they've done a, a good enough job of, of shutting down opponents that I feel like they might be able to sneak in. Um, I feel like the Pacers will be there. And then that last spot is going to, to me, come down to between the Hawks, the Bulls, the Pistons, and the Hornets. Of those four, I feel like the Hornets are the best team. The only question is, are they too far back? Because they're, you know, 14 and a half games out. But, you know, in, in a vacuum, I think they're the best team. So if they can finish strong enough, I would say it's the Hornets. If not, then I almost toss a coin between those other three. Let's take a quick break so I can get all corporate on you for a second and tell you about pristineauction.com. Pristine Auction is the place to go if you're a sports fan and are looking for memorabilia for your man cave or just your personal collection. eBay's great, but with a site like that where anyone can sell anything, you don't know exactly what you're going to get. And with Pristine Auction, everything is guaranteed to be 100% authentic and only from the most trusted sources. Plus, buying in an auction format makes everything more affordable. It's quick, it's free, and it's easy to register. And unlike other auction sites, it's free to bid. That means you only pay when you win. Seems like a pretty great deal. Pristine Auction has a ton of memorabilia from all major sports, even soccer if you're into that. I was checking it out earlier today when they told me I had to do this read, and I did what any sensible person would do. I immediately searched for Jacksonville Jaguars items, and I can report that I was pleasantly surprised to find some Marquise Lee signed game-use cleats for a suspiciously affordable price. Check out Pristine Auction. That's P-R-I-S-T-I-N-E Auction. Pristine Auction. It's authentic, it's affordable, and you only pay for what you win. I think Atlanta is going to hang in. Um, I mean, they've lost seven in a row, and if Paul Millsap doesn't get back soon, that can change. But assuming Millsap's able to get back within the next three or four games, I think they'll have enough. Uh, I mean, otherwise, that would be a, a catastrophic collapse if, if Atlanta falls out of that top eight. I mean, Milwaukee is maybe playing the best outside of any of these teams, but you know, besides Miami, who, who's been on this run now for what seems like you know four months. 
but the Bucks starting to hit their stride. They, they had a little bit of a rough weekend, but uh, I think Giannis uh, kind of cooled off after the All Star break. But he seems to kind of refound where he was uh, back in December and January. So Milwaukee's going to be interesting. I, I think you know right now. We would have, um, you know, if things closed as they do now, which, again, is probably not going to be the case with how close these teams are, but we'd have Cleveland-Miami, which is fun for obvious reasons. You get Mm -hmm. Indiana and Boston, also fun. Uh, Washington and Milwaukee, and then Toronto and Atlanta. So, I mean, if if you're Toronto, I don't think you necessarily want to play Milwaukee. Uh, I think you'd rather have the Hawks right now. Um, You know, this Toronto team struggled a ton with the Pacers last year when they were a two and Indiana was a seven. So nothing's really guaranteed for for that Raptors team in fourth right now. Washington, you know, I think I'm... I would say I'm in on Washington to the degree that I think that they can be in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, that said, I think they're still a step behind Cleveland uh, and especially Boston. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting. You're sticking with the Cavs for your Eastern Conference pick? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't I don't feel like I'm going out on a limb with that, but it's just, you know, as I said, if, if LeBron is not on crutches, then I'm expecting to see mm-hmm. them in the finals. Okay, I, I agree with you there. Uh, we don't have time to hit on the West, but but real quickly, are you standing with Golden State as of right now? Uh, great question. Um, I think they're the favorites. I don't know what to make of the Spurs. They tend to always be good, but not quite good enough. Um, I really like the Rockets. I feel like they have a puncher's chance against anybody, even including Golden State. But I think that Golden State's probably the favorite. I think so, too. And I think in saying that, we have to assume that Kevin Durant is going to be back for this team. And, you know, I, I think that'll be the case. There hasn't been any hitch in his rehab as far as we're aware. You know, he's he's been shooting lately, which is obviously a great sign. So I think if KD's back, I really don't see Golden State getting beat. Uh, that said, if there's any complications on that front, if he's hobbled at all, if if at any point Curry or Draymond, you know, go down with any sort of injury, things become wide open and and at that point I think I think Houston and San Antonio could both pounce and I think I like Houston a little bit more there I mean the Spurs are only two and a half back but I I don't don't know how that how that front court you know that has Lee and Aldridge and Gasol and and even Dwayne Dedman like I don't know how that foursome can match up with the Golden State Warriors when they're throwing Durant and Draymond out at the four and the five yeah you know it's interesting with Golden State I feel like when I look at this Western Conference team, uh, uh, lineup, that that they are strong enough to be able to handle the loss of any one of them, except maybe Draymond. Like I think you're right that if Durant comes back, that pushes them up. But it, also, if Durant was completely out, if they said he's done for the year, I think I would still feel like they were the favorites to come out of the West. I think the only way that Durant's injury really hurts their chances is if he's in like a limbo half okay I'm gonna play now I can't play and then because they they play differently with him and without him and you saw when he went down it took a while before they figured out how to win again but now they figured it back out they've won seven in a row and you know they they have enough talent to be able to beat any of these teams without Durant but I, I think they have he has to either be in or out it was by the time the playoffs start and then as far as the Rockets go yeah the way they play they are so dangerous even to a Golden State team because 
you know, they, they, they've gone all in on this kind of analytics-based um, shoot the threes, um, either shoot threes or shoot at the rim. Like, I don't think they shoot anything that's not a three or a layup. And so because of that, if they get hot enough from three and they've got five guys that are just bombing threes at all times, they can beat anybody on a given night. The only question is, can they do that four times in seven games? The odds aren't high, but I... I no matter who I am, I would not be happy to play them in a series because you just never know. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Daryl Morey has said that. I think he was on the low post a couple of weeks ago, and you know, he said he basically summarized exactly what you just said: is you know, like we can beat anybody. We know we have the shooters. You know, we know we have the offense to beat anyone. It's just a matter of replicating those results four times in seven games. And you know, he joked that he had talked to Adam Silver at Sloan. Um, you know, about making it a one-game HBO pay-per-view playoff <laughs> rather than a seven-game series because he would like his team's chances uh, a hell of a lot more in that format, which is understandable. But this is going to be a great playoffs. You know, this is the, the time of year when I wouldn't say I check out on the NBA, but, you know, I've sw- I switched over to March Madness for the last couple of weeks. It's nice to get a little bit of break, you know, from, from the daily NBA grind day-to-day. I know you've, you've kind of stuck with the NBA a little bit more, uh, especially mm-hmm. with DFS, but... Couple more yeah, weeks, kind of man, and committed. <laughs> couple more weeks, and we get that first Saturday when there's four straight NBA playoff games starting at noon. You know, oh, yeah. even, even if that noon game is going to be like Raptors Hawks, you know, which is also <laughs> let down. Hey, at, at least we get the good ones later on, and I can't wait. Uh, and the best part about the NBA playoffs, some people don't like this, but hey, it's like a two and a half month event. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I really like the playoffs. Um, you know, like I said, a lot of people feel like the season's too long, and then the playoffs are too long, no and. Way. But but for me, it's like especially so this year is interesting because this is the first year in a long time that I don't have any kind of dog in the hunt. You know, my favorite player for the last 15 years has been Kevin Garnett. And so he's retired now. So it's like I can just watch and just enjoy the game. You know, I don't have to worry about well, is my guy's team going to make it or how they're going to play. Like I could just enjoy it like anybody else. So um, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the best part too. I mean, with with the NCAA tournament, uh, I'm kind of colored by whatever Wisconsin's doing. But no, that, that's the best part about the NBA. Like I said, you you can just sit back, relax, and watch. And you know, it's not over in a matter of weekends. It's over in a matter of like eight weekends. Uh, exactly. That's all the time we have, Andre. Uh, you and I both have things to do on this Monday afternoon. Good to get back with you. Thanks for telling yes, us about Sloan. Make sure to read everything. Uh, that Andre has written. You can find that on rotowire.com. That's where you can find the Hoops Lab. You can also find Andre's daily DFS advice on the daily page of rotowire.com. You got anything else you want to plug while we got you here? Yeah, you know, I've got my, my Hoops Lab blog um, that uh, most of my stuff finds its way into those pages too. So that's hoopslab.rotowire.com. And, um, and of course, come follow me on Twitter at Professor DRZ. That's Professor Driz. Um, yeah, uh, uh, come check me out. All right, that'll do it. Andre, thanks again for joining me, man. All right, it was a pleasure.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.